sermon, whilst narrating the account of the life of Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu, I concluded by saying that he was the first person to be buried in Jannatul Baqi. The following details have been found regarding the foundation and establishment of Jannatul Baqi. It is said that at the time of the arrival of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in Medina, there were many graveyards. The Jews used to have their own graveyards, while the various tribes of the Arabs had their own respective graveyards. The holy city of Medina was divided into various neighborhoods at the time, and every tribe used to bury their dead in an open field in the area. Quba had its own graveyard, which was more prominent. However, there were some other smaller graveyards as well. The tribe of Banu Zafar had their own graveyard, and Banu Salma had their own separate graveyard. Similarly, among other graveyards, there was the graveyard of Banu Sada, at the place of which Suq nabi was established later on, and this is where the mosque of the Prophet was built. And in that place too, there were some graves of polytheists. But among all these graveyards, Bakil al-Gharqat was the oldest and most famous amongst all these graveyards. And once the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, chose it as the graveyard of the Muslims, it has since had a unique and prominent position which remains till today and shall always do so. Hazrat Ubaidullah bin Abi Rafir narrates that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was looking for a place which would be designated for the graves of only the Muslims. 
For this purpose, the Holy Prophet, peace upon him, inspected various places and visited them. However, this honor was decreed for Baqiyul Gharqad. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, announced that I have been commanded to choose this place, i.e. Baqiyul Gharqad. In those days, Baqiyul Gharqad also used to be called Baqiyul Khabkhaba. It had countless Gharqad trees and wild bushes growing within, and it also had an abundance of mosquitoes and other insects. And when the mosquitoes rose due to the muddy land or the jungle, it seemed as if clouds or smoke had covered it from above. And as I have mentioned, that the first person to be buried there was Hazrat Usman bin Anhu. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, placed a stone at the head of the grave as a marker saying that he has preceded us. Thereafter, whenever someone passed away, people would ask the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that where they should be buried. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would answer that near Usman bin Maz'un, who has preceded us. In Arabic, Baqi is a place in which there is an abundance of trees, and this place was known in Medina as Baqi ul Gharqad, as the Gharqad trees there were plentiful. And apart from that, it was rich in wild growing bushes, and it was also called Jannatul Baqi. In Arabic, the word Jannat carries the meaning of a garden or paradise, and for this reason it was better known among the non Arabs as Jannatul Baqi. Abdul Hamid Qadri Sahib has given this explanation and he then further states that we must forget that the Arabs would call their burial grounds Jannat but another name given was Maqabirul Baqi and this was more commonly referred to by the Bedouins. Hazrat Salim bin Abdullah narrates from his father Whenever someone passed away, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would say that send him forth to those who have passed on from us. What an excellent pioneer Usman bin Maz'un was from among my ummah. Hazrat ibn Abbas relates that when Hazrat Usman passed away, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, approached his body and lowered his head three times. He then raised his head and loudly proclaimed, that, O Abu Sahib, may Allah forgive you, you passed away from this world without letting it adversely affect you in any way. Then Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha narrates that when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, kissed the body of Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un radiallahu anhu, he was extremely emotional and tears were flowing from his eyes. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was in a very emotional state at the time and both of his eyes were shedding tears. Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha relates that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, kissed Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu after he passed away. She states that she saw the tears of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, falling on the cheeks of Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un radiallahu anhu.
The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, shed so many tears that they were falling in the cheeks of Hazrat Usman radiallahu anhu. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, son Ibrahim passed away, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Al-Hiq bis-salfis salih Uthman bin Maz'un. That is, go and bring the company of the pious individual Usman bin Maz'un who has passed away. Hazrat Usman bin Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates that when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, led the funeral prayer of Hazrat Usman bin Maun radiallahu anhu, he recited the takbirat four times, i.e. reciting Allahu Akbar. There are some people who are of the opinion that the takbirat cannot be said more than three times. However, it is possible to say four as well. Mutlib narrates that when Hazrat Usman bin Mazun passed away, his body was brought outside and was then buried. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, ordered an individual to bring a rock. He was unable to lift the rock as it was rather heavy. Hence, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, went himself and stood beside the stone and rolled up both of his sleeves. Muttalib, who is narrating this incident of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, states that it seems as if I am still able to see white complexion on the skin of both the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's arms. In other words, I am still able to recall the incident. He then further relates that the arms of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, were beautiful, and I am still able to see the white complexion of his skin after the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had rolled up his sleeves. Following this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, lifted that rock and placed it beside the head of the grave of Hazrat Usman bin Mazun radiallahu anhu. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then said, I will recognize the grave of my brother through this rock, and whoever passes away from amongst my family, I will bury them near it. This is a narration from Sunan Abi Daud. I will now mention some aspects from the details Hazrat Mizza Bishir Ahmed Sahib ta'ala anhu has presented in relation to the demise of Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un radiallahu anhu. Mentioned incidents of the second year after Hijrah, i.e. migration of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him to Medina. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib radiallahu anhu states that to the end of this year, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him proposed the establishment of a graveyard in Medina for his companions, which was referred to as Jannatul Baqi. After its establishment, the companions were generally buried in this very graveyard. And the first companion to be buried in this graveyard was Usman bin Maz'un. Usman was from among the most pioneer Muslims and was extremely righteous and pious. Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un anhu, was a man of ascetic disposition. On one occasion, after becoming a Muslim, he submitted the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him that if the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, kindly grants permission, it is my desire to abandon the world completely and separate myself from my wife and children so that I may devote my life wholly to the worship of Allah. However, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, did not permit him to do so. I have already mentioned the details of this in my previous sermon. Nevertheless, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib further writes that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was deeply saddened upon the demise of Hazrat Usman bin Mazun radiallahu anhu. And there is a narration that after his demise, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, kissed his forehead 
and at the time there were tears in the eyes of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. After his burial, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, fixed a stone at the head of his grave to serve as a marking. And then, every so often, he would visit the Jannatul Baqi and pray for him. Hazrat Usman radiallahu anhu was the first muhajir, a migrant from Mecca to Medina, to pass away in Medina. Upon the demise of Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un radiallahu anhu, his wife wrote the following elegy. She states, And the translation of this is as follows. O I, shed endless tears on the demise of Usman, who spent his nights in accordance with the pleasure of his Creator. Glad tidings be given to this unique and exceptional individual who has now been buried. Baqi and Ghardak have been purified by this inhabitant and its surroundings have been illuminated following his burial. Your demise saddened the heart to some extent that it will not heal until I die and this state of mind will not change. These were the sentiments expressed by his wife. Hazrat Umm Allah, who was amongst the ladies from the Ansar, had pledged allegiance to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, narrated, that when the Ansar were drawing lots from among the names of the Muhajireen to select their places of residence, we received the name Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un radiallahu anhu meaning that they were to arrange accommodation for him in their house. She further states that Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu stayed with us and we also looked after him when he was unwell and when he passed away, we buried him in his clothes. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, came to meet us and I said that may Allah have mercy on you, O Abu Sa'ib. This was Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu's title. She repeated these words in the presence of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and further stated that I bear witness that Allah the Almighty has certainly honoured you. And she repeated this in front of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that I bear witness that Allah has certainly honoured you. However, when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, heard this, he inquired, How have you come to know that God Almighty has most certainly exalted him? Hazrat Umm Allah responded that O Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam may my parents be sacrificed for your sake but I am not certain about this however this is how I felt hence I was expressing my feelings Upon this the Holy Prophet peace be upon him responded As far as Usman is concerned he has passed away and I hope for his prosperity and may God Almighty honour him However, by God, even I do not know what will happen to Usman. Even though he had offered prayers for Hazrat Usman anhu, but the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that I am a prophet of God, but even I am not certain of what will happen to Hazrat Usman. When Hazrat Ummul Allah heard this, she stated, By God, I will not consider anyone pious in this manner, meaning that she would not say again that God has certainly pardoned someone. 
She further states that this made me sorrowful and I fell asleep in this state. She was very close to Hazrat Usman radiallahu anhu and the emotions wrong. In any case, she states, At night I saw in a dream that there is a flowing fountain which belongs to Hazrat Usman. And after seeing this dream, I visited the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and narrated my dream to him. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, responded that such was his actions, meaning that God Almighty showed the flowing spring to inform her that he is in paradise and his actions are a part of that fountain. Hence, this was the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's way to train others, that one should not claim with such confidence and conviction that Allah the Almighty has forgiven someone. However, when Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un radiallahu ta'ala unhighest deeds were manifested to Hazrat Umm Allah in a dream, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then testified to this as well. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was already aware that God Almighty was pleased with his companions who had participated in the battle of Badr. Moreover, the prayers of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, for Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu, in which he expressed his emotions, elaborate on the fact that he was sure that Allah the Almighty would accept these prayers, and Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu will be counted amongst those who attain the nearness of Allah the Almighty. However, despite this, he advised them not to make such claims. This account has also been mentioned in Musnad Ahmad bin Hanbal in the following manner. Kharja bin Zaid mentions a narration from his mother that when Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un passed away, Kharja bin Zaid's mother said that, O oh Abu Sa'ib, you are a virtuous man and your good days were very exceptional indeed. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, heard this and inquired that who said this? I responded, it is I who said this. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then said, But what led you to this exclusion? I replied, O Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it was Hazrat Usman bin Maz'un's deeds and acts of worship which led me to believe that God Almighty has certainly treated him with forgiveness and forbearance. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, replied, that we did not see anything but goodness in Usman bin Maz'un. However, he also added that bear in mind that I am a prophet of God but by God even then I am not certain as to what will happen to me in the hereafter. No one was more beloved to God Almighty than the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. But his level of fear of God and the realization of his grandeur and greatness was such that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that even I am not sure what will happen to me. Therefore, if this was the state of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then how much should we fear for ourselves? In fact, we should be greatly concerned about performing good deeds and directing our attention towards the worship of God. And even then, we should never take pride in this. Instead, we should progress in humility and we should always beg God Almighty for His grace and mercy so that He may grant us His forgiveness. Furthermore, in another narration of Musnad Ahmad bin Hanbal, Ummi Allah states 
that Usman bin Maz'un radiyallahu anhu became ill whilst residing with us. We looked after him till he passed away, and we shrouded him in his own clothes. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, visited us, and I stated, O Abu Sahib, may Allah have mercy on you. I bear witness that Allah has greatly honoured you. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, upon this stated, that how do you know that God Almighty has honoured him? She responded, that I am not sure. May my parents sacrifice for your sake, O Messenger of Allah. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then said, that as far as Usman bin Mazun is concerned, he has passed away. And I hope for his prosperity, that Allah the Almighty will grant him good. However, by God, even though I am the Messenger of Allah, but even I do not know about my own state in the hereafter. Umay Allah stated that I replied, I will not proclaim anyone to be holy after this. And thereafter, she continues as anxiousness and also her dream which she related to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And so this account has been recorded in two different books of Ahadith. Indeed, God Almighty has already granted them a lofty station and the prayers of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, were also with them. And may God Almighty continue to elevate their status and may we emulate their example as well. Next companion whom I shall mention is Hazrat Wahab bin Saad bin Abi Sar. His father's name was Saad and he belonged to the Banu Amir bin Lui tribe. Hazrat Wahab was the brother of Abdullah bin Wahab bin Sar. His mother's name was Mahana bin Tejabir and she belonged to the Ash'ari tribe. Abdullah bin Saad bin Abi Sar, the brother of Hazrat Wahab, was the same Katibi, i.e. the scribe who could write down revelations, who became an apostate. Regarding Hazrat Wahab's brother, Hazrat Muslim anhu has written the following details. He writes that from among the scribes of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, one of them was named Abdullah bin Abi Sar. In Siratul Halbiya it is written that he was the foster brother of Hazrat Usman bin Affan anhu. Nonetheless, Hazrat Muslim anhu further states that when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would receive a revelation, he would call for him and ask for it to be written down. One day, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was dictating verses 14 and 15 of Surah Al-Mu'minun. And when he reached the verse, ثُمَّ أَنْشَأْنَاهُ خَلْقًا آخر, Abdullah, i.e. the scribe being referred to, spontaneously responded, that فَتَبَارَكَ اللَّهُ أَحْسَنُ الْخَالِقِينَ and this part of the verse is mentioned in Surah Al-Mu'minun, verse 15. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that this is exactly the verse that was written and asked him to write it down. However, this wretched individual did not understand the pattern of the previous verses resulted in the verse he spontaneously recited. And so, from this he inferred that just as the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had considered his uttered words as divine revelation, so too was the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, himself, God forbid, fabricating the entire text of the Qur'an. 
He thus became an apostate and left for Mecca. And of all the individuals for whom the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had mandated the capital punishment, Abdullah bin Abi bin Sara was one of them. And Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu though gave him refuge. Details of the nature of this refuge are as follows. At the occasion of the conquest of Mecca, when Abdullah bin Abi Sara came to know that his execution had been ordered, he went to his foster brother Usman bin Affan radiallahu anhu, seeking refuge, and said, O brother, grant me refuge from the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, before he has me killed. This is recorded in Siratul Halbiyah. Hazrat Muslim Aoud writes that he remained in hiding at Hazrat Usman Anhu's residence for three or four days. One day, as the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was taking the oath of allegiance from some of the Meccans, Hazrat Usman Anhu brought Abdullah bin Abi Sar in the presence of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and requested him to accept his pledge of allegiance. For a moment, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, remained quiet after which he accepted his pledge of allegiance. And like this, Abdullah bin Abi Sara once again accepted Islam. However, there were many other reasons why the initial instruction to execute him had been given. He had fanned the flames of discord and disorder, and so the commandment of execution was not given simply because he had become an apostate, but there were many other crimes. Then Asim bin Umar relates, and when Hazrat Wahab migrated from Mecca to Medina, he stayed at the house of Hazrat Kulsum bin Hidam. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had established a bond of brotherhood, i.e. Muakhat, between Hazrat Wahab and Hazrat Suwad bin Amr. These two, i.e. the recently established brothers, were both martyred in the Battle of Mota. Hazrat Wahab participated in the battles of Badr, Uhud, Khanq, Hudaybiyah and Khabar, and he passed away in Jamadiyul Ula, 8th Hijri, during the Battle of Mota. And he was 40 years of age on the day of his demise. What was the Battle of Mota, and what were the causes behind it? This has been mentioned in Tabqatul Kubra. It states that the battle took place in Jamadiyul Ula in the eighth year after the migration. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, sent Haris bin Umar with a letter as a messenger to the king of Busra. And when they reached the place called Mota, they met with Sharabi bin Amr Ghassani, who was one of the governors of Syria appointed by the Roman emperor. And this is according to Siratul Halbiya. He stopped them and martyred them. And other than Haris bin Umar, no other messenger of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was martyred. When the news of this tragedy reached the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, it bore heavily on his heart, and he was aggrieved on account of his demise. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, called upon the people to gather for battle. And so people gathered, and the total number of the army was 3,000. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, declared that the leader of this group would be Hazrat Zaid bin Harsa, and after preparing a white flag and handing it to Zaid, the Prophet ﷺ advised that go to the place where Hazrat Haris bin Umar has been martyred and invite the people there to Islam. If they accept it, then fine, but if they do not, 
and seek Allah's help against them and engage with them in battle. And Hazrat Wahab was also part of this battle. I'll further elaborate on the details of this battle. Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar states that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, appointed Hazrat Zaid bin Harsa during the expedition of Mota as their leader and said that if Zaid is martyred, then Jafar will be your leader. And if he is also martyred, then Abdullah bin Rawaha shall take his place. This group of men was also known as the infantry of leaders. Hazrat anhu is detailing of this event has written that according to one narration, a Jew who was sitting nearby heard what the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had just said and approached Hazrat Zayd radiallahu anhu and said to him that if Muhammad is true, then none of the three of you shall return from the battle alive. At this, Hazrat Zayd radiallahu anhu replied, that whether I return from this battle alive or not, it is a fact that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is a true messenger and a truthful prophet of God. The news about the martyrs of this battle was conveyed through divine revelation to the Holy Prophet Regarding this, there is a narration in which Hazrat Anas bin Malik anhu relates that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated that Zayd took up the holding of the flag and he was martyred, after which Jafar told of the flag and he too was martyred, and after this Abdullah bin Rawaha took hold of the flag and he was also martyred. While telling this to the people, tears were flowing from the eyes of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. After this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, went on to say, that after this Khalid bin Walid took hold of the flag without being a leader and they were granted victory. May Allah the Almighty continue to raise the spiritual status of these companions of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. After having mentioned these companions, I shall now mention some deceased ones whose funeral prayers I shall also be leading today. The first funeral is of respected Malik Muhammad Akram Sahib who was a missionary of the community. He passed away yesterday on the 25th of April in Manchester. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. To Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. His funeral is present here and after the prayers, inshallah, I will lead his funeral prayers outside the mosque. He was born on 2nd of April in 1947 in Malakwal in the district of Gujarat. In 1961 he performed the birth, a pledge of allegiance and entered the Jamaat. His elder brother, Master Azam Sahib, had accepted Ahmadiyyat prior to this, and Akram Sahib also performed that after him. I remember he wrote an article in which he wrote that he only came to Rabwa for his studies, but owing to the atmosphere of Rabwa, he performed the bath. Nonetheless, in 1962, after he had performed bath, he dedicated his life for the Jamaat. And after completing his BA, he received his Shahid degree and also Mulvi Fazl degree. He was assigned as a missionary in 1971 and in 1970 Hazrat Khafatul Masih III led his nikah which was settled with Amtul Karim Sahiba, daughter of Molvi Abdul Bashar Ghafur Sahib. Akram Sahib had the opportunity to serve as a missionary in different places in Pakistan as well as countries outside of Pakistan. He served in various jamaats across the UK for approximately 30 years which included Oxford, Manchester, Glasgow and Cardiff. 
and his total service spans approximately 48 years. In the UK, he served as Naib of Sajil Sagar for many years as well. From 1971 to 1973, he served in various places throughout Pakistan, and from 1973 to 1977, he served in the Gambia, and from 1977 to 1979, he served in Karachi, Pakistan, after which he served in Rabwa in Vakalit Tabshir from 1979 to 1980. Between 1980 and 1983, he served as the principal of the missionary college in Hilaro, Nigeria, after which he returned to Pakistan and stayed in Rabwa until 1989. And from 1989 to 2018, he had the opportunity to serve in the UK. Initially, in 2007, he reached the official age of retirement, but was re-employed in February 2007 and had the opportunity to serve until 2018. Although a waqf zindgi a life devotee, always remains in his capacity as a waqf, a life devotee, however, recently due to his illness, he was unable to actively carry out his duties, and therefore he retired. But nonetheless, we can say that he only spent a few months without being in active service, and in this way he served until his last breath. Amir Sahib UK, i.e. the National President, writes that he was very hard-working, obedient and had a pleasant nature. Whichever Jamaat work that was assigned to him, he would complete it with great effort and diligence. And it was a habit to immediately compile a full report and send it. He was appointed to serve in Manchester. And Malik Sahib worked tirelessly to collect funds for the Darul Aman Mosque when it was being constructed. Ataul Mujid Rashid Sahib writes that Akram Sahib was a man of principle and possessed many qualities. He was very pious, honest and extremely loyal Ahmadi. He was a passionate missionary who would work diligently and he was a servant of the committee who displayed the highest levels of obedience for Khilafat. Majid Sialkoti Sahib writes that he possessed many qualities, the foremost that he was an extremely loyal servant of Khilafat he had a pan for tabliq, i.e. to propagate the message of Islam. Sial Koti Sahib further writes that when we were students, during the holidays he once visited our village and said that they ought to go out for tabliq and became involved in tabliq activities. He had sacrificed his holidays to perform tabliq with the Khuddam and the Ansar. And he also writes that he always displayed obedience throughout his life. Aslam Khalid Sahib, who is serving in the private secretary office in Indian writes that he became a close relation of mine. They were both related through marriage. And he writes that wherever he was appointed, he would win the hearts of the people through his affection. He even served throughout his illness. He would especially speak lovingly about the people of Manchester. He further writes that he had a loving relationship with the youths and children of the Jamaat. And giving one example of this, Aslam Khalid Sahib said that he once told me an incident regarding one of the children who grew up with him and then later married 
From among them one of the youths was expecting their first child. When the child was born, he called him at 2.30 or 3 a.m., informing him that his first child had been born. Akram Sahib said that he thought to himself that this is not an appropriate time to inform him through telephone and that he could have easily called him in the morning. However, it was the love the youth had for his missionary and the one who had a part in his upbringing that Akram Sahib further says that I was left speechless by his next comment. The youth said, And Murabi Sahib, I had promised that whenever God Almighty would grant me a child, you would be the first person I would inform. And now I have told you, I will inform my father. Therefore this was the love and affection people had for him and his love for the Jamaat members. May God Almighty continue to elevate his status and shower his forgiveness on him and grant his loved one steadfastness and courage to bear this loss. And as I mentioned earlier, that his funeral is present, and I will go outside to lead his funeral prayer. The second funeral prayer in absentia is of Chaudhary Abdul Shakur Sahib, who was a missionary of the community. He was the son of Chaudhary Abdul Aziz Sahib Sialkoti. He passed away on 12th April, Inna Lillahi wa Inna Ilayhi Rajiun, to Allah we belong, and to Him shall we return. He was born on 10th November 1935 and was an Ahmadi from birth. His paternal grandfather pledged allegiance in 1901. Respected Abdul Shakur Sahib completed his FA intermediate examinations, after which he completed his Shahid and Mulvi Fazl and dedicated his life in 1956. Prior to this, he worked in the railway division as a typist. In 1962, he passed his Mulvi Fazl examination and in 1963 he graduated from Jamia Ahmadiyya with a Shahid degree. In July 1963 he was appointed as Vakalit Mal Sani, after which he had the opportunity to serve in various offices in Rabwa. In 1964 he was sent to Sierra Leone for the propagation of Islam, and he served there until 1968. From December 1970 to December 1973 he remained in Ghana, and from 1975 to 1978 he served in the Gambia, and from February 1980 to April 1986 he served in Liberia. In these countries the deceased had the opportunity to serve as Amir, national president and missionary in charge. In 1990 he was appointed as the Naib Vakil Tabshir. In addition to this he served as Naib Vakil Ulmal Salis, Secretary Committee Abadi and Naib Vakil Ulmal Sani. After retirement in 1995, he continued to work until 2004 and owing to pain in his eyes due to glaucoma, he retired in 2004. His son, Dr. Abdul Sabur Sahib, who resides in USA, says, My father was a very hard-working and simple man. I saw him spreading the message and involved in moral training in Liberia as Amir, a missionary in charge. He would always prepare his sermons diligently using references from the Holy Qur'an, a hadith, books of the community, the Bible, etc. He would preach to the Christians and other Muslims with arguments and would always speak politely. He further writes that he spent on all our educational needs despite having limited resources and ensured all of our siblings were given an education.
Mahmoud Tahir Sahib, who is the Qaid Amumi for Ansarullah Pakistan, writes that he would always work quietly and without drawing attention to himself and was an influential figure. Naib Vakilu Tabshir Sheikh Khalid Sahib writes that he had a very balanced temperament and had a noble character. He had a meticulous nature and was an extremely loyal and devoted servant of Ahmadiyyat and Khilafat. Hader Ali Zafar Zahib, who is currently serving as Naib Amir of Germany, writes that Abdul Shakur Sahib possessed many qualities. He was very loyal, had a balanced temperament and hard-working. He would always be mindful when spending money of the Jamaat and he was pious and a man of principle. Whilst in Liberia, he managed the bookshop of the Jamaat in most excellent manner. From the earnings of the bookshop, he built a new mosque and accommodation for the missionary. And in a small area, he built a complex which included a library, a guest room and separate space in the mosque for men and women to offer their prayers. And alongside this, there was a residence for the missionary as well. And during the construction, he would join in with the workers. Initially, he generated the revenue himself and had the complex built, but he also joined in alongside the workers in building the complex as well. Hadar Ali Sahib further says that in 1986, when I took charge from him, we held a farewell ceremony, and during the ceremony it was mentioned that he worked very hard in order to build the mosque and the mission house. However, in response to this, he said, with great humility, that the missionary had the opportunity to acquire the land and God Almighty granted me the opportunity to see the project to completion. And now you are able to hold various tabligh activities. In short, it is all down to the blessings provided by Allah the Almighty. The deceased was a Musi, a part of the institution of Al-Wasiyat, and aside from his wife, he is survived by two daughters and three sons. May God Almighty elevate his status. The third funeral in absentia is of respected Muhammad Saleh Muhammad Sahib, who was a Muallim of waqf jadid he passed away according to the will of Allah on 21st April 2019. Inna lillahi wa inna To Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. His great-grandfather was Malik Allah Baksh Sahib, who was a companion of the promised Messiah al He witnessed the sign of the solar and lunar eclipse and travelled by foot to Qadiyan from Lodra and had the honour of doing the bad at the hands of the promised Messiah alayhi salatu wasalam. His father, respected Ghulam Muhammad Sahib, was also a Muallim, and in fact he was from among the early Muallimin. Muhammad Saleh Sahib was born in 1959, and in 1976 he applied to enroll in Jami Ahmadiyya. However, his application was unsuccessful, as he was past the age for admission. He then worked in a mill in Kotri, and his son writes that our grandfather, Malik Ghulam Muhammad Sahib, once went to Kotri to visit him, and did not like the atmosphere there. He immediately instructed him to leave the job and to devote his life as a muallim under the waqf jadid scheme. Thus, he left the job and returned, and he was already married at the time and was earning 450 rupees from that employment, which was a significant amount in those days. However, he left and came back and joined the muallim class. When he qualified as a muallim, the allowance set by the jamaat at the time was 135 rupees. However, 
He considered this as a great honor that God Almighty had granted him the opportunity to serve the faith. Thus, initially he was looking for worldly gains, but then devoted his life and was earning almost a quarter or a third of what he was earning before. In 1989, he was appointed to Nagar Parker and had to endure very difficult conditions there. His son, who is a missionary, writes that my mother told me that when they were appointed to the village in Nagar Parker, the Muallim house had been left shut for many years and the house had fallen through. And so during the day, their father would travel quite a distance to bring sand and water and gather it there, and then in the night, both husband and wife would prepare bricks from it. And once the bricks had dried up, they then both constructed their accommodation themselves, as there was no place to stay at the time. And so these early Mu'allimin in the area of sin rendered great sacrifices and endured those conditions. Thus they first travelled long distance to gather the water and sand, and thereafter they would mix it and prepare bricks for it, and then they themselves built a room from it for them to live in, and did not make any demands from the Jamaat. His son further writes that they told me that in Nagar Parker they had no facilities as such since they lived in a remote area. Therefore, when they would come for meetings, they would have to purchase their rations for the entire month and also homeopathy medication and items. Once, he came to attend the meeting and on his way back got lost. Since the area is full of desert, one has to follow the footprints on the floor to determine the way. However, he could not correctly follow the footprints and strayed from the path. It is extremely hot in that area and the water he was carrying with him finished. And owing to the extreme thirst and fatigue, he became unconscious and fell. He was lying on the floor when two people riding on camels approached and saw that it was Dr. Sahib, since he administered homeopathy medication to the locals in Nagar Parker, therefore he was referred to as Dr. Sahib by the locals. The two individuals who saw him were also his patients and so they gave him some water and took him back to their village. He spent the night there and then the next day they took him back to the centre in Nagar Parker. He further writes that he always reminded his children to offer their five daily prayers and he regularly offered the Tahajjud prayer and even on the day he passed away he offered the Tahajjud prayer and also woke my mother to pray as well. He was extremely courteous and showed great love to people. If anyone wronged him, he would bear it with patience and would never respond. He was also very good at making connections with people and was very well known amongst people. He was very trustworthy and people would trust him with their possessions and leave them with him. And if there was any discord amongst the members of the family, he would always seek to reconcile. The deceased was a Musi and leaves behind his wife, three sons and three daughters. One of his sons, Mubarak Ahmad Muni Sahib, is currently serving as a missionary in Burkina Faso and therefore could not go back to Pakistan upon the demise of his father. May God Almighty elevate his station and grant him his mercy and forgiveness. 
and may God Almighty also enable his progeny to serve their faith with the same passion and spirit of sacrifice. The fourth funeral prayer in absentia is of respected Moshe Juma Sahib of Tanzania. He passed away on 13th March, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun, to Allah we belong, and to Him shall we return. He was born around 1933 to 1934 in Morogoro region of Tanzania, and he joined the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in 1967. His account of acceptance of Ahmadiyyat is as follows. There was a tradition among Sunni ulama of the area that if a child passed away, they would carry out the khatam ceremony and also the akika. However, he was opposed to such traditions such as the khatam ceremony and also the akika of a child who had passed away. Some of the Sunni ulama used to urge for the akika of a newborn child who had passed away straight after his khatam, as opposed to doing that of a child still alive. This was so that there could be more opportunities for them to eat. However, Moshe Sahib had not come across such an Islamic teaching which supported this practice of the Mulvis and therefore was greatly saddened and appalled at this pitiable state of the Muslims. And he would always pray to God Almighty to send down Jesus salam, so that he would once again revive Islam. And so the missionary in charge writes that he said that when he met the missionary of the area, who at the time was Jamilur Rahman Rafiq Sahib, who is currently serving as Vakilul Ishad in Pakistan, he says that when he met Jamilur Rahman Rafiq Sahib, he informed him of the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in which he said that one who dies without having recognized the Imam of the age dies a death of ignorance. Subsequently, this led him to reflect upon the fact that he had not accepted the Imam of the age and therefore was not a true Muslim and so immediately accepted Ahmadiyyad. Thereafter, he went back to his village and gathered everyone and conveyed the message of the promised Messiah to his siblings, other family members and friends. And so, in that same year, his brother, Idi Salman Sahib, who has passed away now, and also Juma Sahib's wife, accepted Ahmadiyya as a result of his tabligh efforts. The deceased had to endure great hostility, but gradually, with time, people began to enter the fold of Jamaat. And now, Ahmadiyya is also well established in the neighboring villages to his village of Makuni. The missionary in charge writes that the Makuni Jamaat is one of the most exemplary Jamaats in the Morogoro region and that this Jamaat was established through his efforts. After accepting Ahmadiyyat and right till his demise, his every action demonstrated his deep love for Khilafat. He also showed great respect towards the missionaries and office bearers of the Jamaat. He strictly followed the Nizami Jamaat and he had great passion for tabligh and would never let any opportunity for tabligh go to waste. 
he was at the forefront of those who paid their chanda, and in fact, he would always be thinking about giving chanda whenever he would receive any money. And he would often say that this world is temporary and has no value. Moshe Sahib was a Musi and would also urge others to join this blessed scheme. He was exemplary in regards to prayers and would offer the five daily prayers. And he also urged his children and grandchildren to offer their daily prayers. He offered the Tahajjud prayer with great passion and had memorized many of the prayers of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and also had great passion to read the books of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wassalam. His son Shamoon Jumasa, who is a teacher at Jamia Ahmadiyya, Tanzania, writes that from 1987 to 1990, all three of us brothers studied in Jamia Ahmadiyya, Tanzania. They teach the Mubashir course there. And he says that I recall that once during the holidays, we decided that one of us brothers would leave Jamia studies and return home and help our parents in their daily chores. When we mentioned this to our father, he was extremely displeased with this. Shamoon Juma Sahib further writes that I can never forget that day. My father became very passionate and he told us that we should place our trust in God Almighty and continue with Jamia studies and not to leave. Thus he instilled a spirit of serving the Jamaat in all three of his children. May God Almighty grant him his mercy and forgiveness and elevate his status and may he enable his progeny to also become true servants of Islam. And as I mentioned earlier, that after the prayers I shall lead their funeral prayers. One of the funerals is present here of Malik Akram Sahib and I will go out of the mosque to lead the funeral prayer and members should remain in the mosque and join the prayer from here. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> 
ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله ونشهد ان محمدا مبعوثا رسولا عباد الله رحمكم الله ان الله يامر بالعدل والاحسان وايتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم وادعوه يستجب لكم ولذكر الله اكبر